So as we begin looking at what it means to be confessional, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Alright, so let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 starting at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This was one of the first creeds of the people of God. And you might be thinking, well, this is scripture. It's not a creed. Uh, A creed is just a simple statement of belief. And so all throughout scripture you find these kinds of creeds. This was for the people of God. As they were wandering through the wilderness, they were given this creed directly from the Lord, and the people of Israel still recite it to this day. Though I'm sure it doesn't mean nearly as much as it did. And it's called the Shema, because that's the first word there in the Hebrew, which just means to hear. And so, and look what they were to do with this creed that they were given. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on your frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what were they to do to them? They were to teach them. They were to have them in their own hearts. They were to display them. They were to be known by the people. And others were to know them by those words. They were words that were to define the people of Israel. Short, sweet, to the point, but very full and very rich in meaning. This is exactly what a creed or a confession is. A short but full statement of belief. Lots of meaning without lots of pages. All right. And so as we talk about these creeds, that is going to be a common theme. We're not going to talk about a lot of them because we have one in our own Presbyterian church that we, our confession that we uh, stick to. So we'll talk more about that one. But last week we talked about the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Anathanation Creed, Chalcedon, and these others. And what was the point of all of them? To bring people together so that people would believe one thing about this truth, whatever that truth was. It was a very short definition, something that the teachers primarily, or the scriptures primarily teach. Very, very simple kinds of doctrine. They can be read in just a few minutes. And they carry with them all the weight of Scripture. I mean, think of the first words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. How often is that rehashed throughout Scripture? Over and over again. And so that very simple statement is something that, again, carries with it all the weight of Scripture. And so in that, they're not at all surpassing Scripture. Because Scripture holds this authority over them because that's where they derive all their own information from. They're not trying to get around Scripture. I like to compare them to like a Cliff Notes. You know, Cliff Notes, I don't even know if they're used anymore. I think the students use something called Spark Notes now. Same idea. 
It's just a little short summary of a book. That thing is the spark note or the cliff note is not replacing the actual book that it's summarizing. Not at all. It's only a summary. And so that's what we do when we have a creator confession. So with that, just this brief introduction, why do you think people are so afraid of creeds and confessions? Just throw it out there. Go ahead. So it's primarily... So it's, it's, it's uniquely postmodern now, more than anything. In the early church, it was necessary. It was, it was, we were thankful for that. Controversies came up. We needed to catechize people. We needed to give them something like the, the Roman Creed, which became the, the Apostles' Creed, which mm-hmm. right before baptism. Right. Right. Like, what, do you, what is it that we believe? Um, but now in postmodernism, it's also like the whole non-denominational movement. As well, it's like doctrine, theology is a four-letter word. Um, it divides all these other things, hmm. which is ironic, of course, because these are the same people that want to hold to all of those fund all of those primary doctrines, the Trinity, and so on and so forth. To which we just say, you know, I mean, you back then you wouldn't have been Trinitarian; you'd have been with Arius. Right. I mean, it's 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 historical. Like you're not really thinking at that point. It's just convenience, and so I think it's it's not wanting to be quote unquote divisive. Um, but of course, it, all that does is dishonor God because God is truth. He has spoken. We believe in the persecutor of Scripture. Mm-hmm. It matters. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It, you know, postmodernism, its whole thing is to reject the meta narrative, to reject the overarching story, and to have all these little smatterings of stories. Creeds, if they are anything, represent the overarching story. So I hadn't thought of that. This idea of just, no, we're going to reject the overarching story. We're going to put our own story together, which is kind of silly. It's kind of making their own creed by rejecting creeds. Yep, Kelly, go ahead. Um, I grew up Baptist, went to a Baptist seminary, and Baptists don't believe in creeds. Because of the Baptist tradition of allowing folks to worship as they feel God leads them. However, if you don't have creeds, then you can wander off down your own path. And a creed um, keeps somebody from saying, yeah, but you know, I believe. I, I can make, if I, don't, um, if I don't agree with a creed, then I'm falling out from under the umbrella mm-hmm. of possibly scripture. I'm creating God in my own, in my own eyes. Good. Absolutely. Yeah, it keeps us all bound together. It keeps us from wandering, wandering away. Yeah. Anything else? Any other thoughts? I'll say this. They rejected creeds to their own demise because they, they wrote some of the documents. And yeah. some of the best preachers you can think of, Charles Spurgeon, I mean, the Prince of Preachers, mm-hmm. all had creeds and then and wrote them and wrote catechisms. And then you, you fast forward to America and it didn't take us long and we rejected that because we wanted to. We we like the independence of not being tied to that to the doctrine. Sort of where the whole uh, uh, autonomy of the local church went too far. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that whole phrase. I understand sort of what they mean by it, but it ended up being autonomy from everyone else. And you got to go figure out what we believe here. And it's the same way here in Galloway County. Mm-hmm. In the Southern Baptist Convention, it's a very loose thing. And um, I came to that creed, uh, just even caring about creeds, 
from going around and asking people sincerely, what do, what do you guys believe? And I met with Church of Christ people and Baptists and Methodists. And uh, just, you know, it, it took a guy who was had a Baptist guy with a creed who gave me a, he said, you know what you need? And he gave me the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the uh, larger catechism, shorter catechism, the whole book. And uh, he's like, well, this might answer a lot of the questions that you have, because I, I believe this. And of course, I'm just like, whoa. You know, look at all these scriptures, and this is exactly what I needed, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very few people could answer those questions that I, as a young Christian, was asking, just like, what do you believe about this? Because I was ignorant. I had been in a lot of sermons, but I truly had no... I never studied a creed, never seen a confession of faith. Even a book of discipline in Methodist Church, mm-hmm. nobody had one of those. I knew. Yeah. So yeah, it's. Uh, I think some of it is tradition as well. Yeah. Go ahead, Todd. I was just going to say it was kind of similar to what Andy was saying, but in the Church of Christ, I think it, a lot of it for me was just uh, a lack of having that information available to me. I mean, those things were just basically. It's uh yeah I didn't I didn't know until the church that I was applying for handed me one and said that I should read it. <laughs> I just knew that I was reformed, but I didn't know anything about confessions. And so, and I think you're right about the whole not wanting to be branded as Roman Catholic. You know, and it's it's uh it's interesting that the primary reason that a lot of those creeds and confessions were written in those days were to separate themselves from the Catholic Church. But now we want to separate ourselves from those creeds in order to continue to separate ourselves from the church that we're actually moving closer towards. And so it's it's interesting that you're able to pull that out. Yeah, go ahead. One more thing. People, uh, I think one thing that weighs into people's minds, and it, and it does me too, about people's beliefs and the creeds and confessions is that 
even though we live in a culture right now where people want to throw all that away, they truly, though, they, I mean, I can just name you a few here, okay? Do you guys believe that you're, you need to speak in tongues to be saved? Oh, you don't? You're all, you're all going to hell. Do you believe that, that when you're baptized, when you're baptized, you have to believe that your sins are being remitted by this water baptism? Oh, you don't? You're going to hell. Yeah. And so these little doctrines that divide, ironically, kind of push people away from even wanting to know what they believe or whatever. And you sort of stick with what you're raised in, but you're scared of that. Mormons, same thing. Jehovah's Witnesses, same. It's kind of funny. And I went through this with my mom as I was telling her how God was changing my life and showing me all these things. And she said, well, if we don't believe the same things, are you going to think that I'm going to hell? And I was just like, what? Right. And she's like, well, you know how people can be. And it really stuck with me because my mom's so, so sweet, you know, that she really had that as a fear. And that right. is because we do. There are, there's a lot of divisiveness along these really weird peripheral issues. The funny thing about our church at Redeemer is we don't get sidetracked by any of those. I think that it's funny. Our, our umbrella is big enough that we can say, oh, you don't know about that or understand that yet? That's okay. It's okay. You, you, have you not read the whole Westminster Confession and memorized it yet? That's okay. Neither has mine. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But there's, that's not a barrier to entry. It's not a barrier to fellowship. But those other places it is. Yeah. And maybe y'all have experienced that. Especially the charismatic churches too. Mm-hmm. They'll get you in there and be your best friend and then say, you know you got to speak in tongues and be saved, Right. Oh, I do? Yeah, aren't you feeling the gift coming on? Oh, I am now. Big <laughs> time. <laughs> and I, I think it's it's a good point, because we'll talk about in a second, that creeds and confessions weren't made to divide. They were actually made to bring people together. And and so many times, people who refuse the creed will actually also want so quickly to divide. And so we have to be careful. Um, I'm going to mention what I think are two good things about creeds and confessions and one, the first thing is that they are biblical. And so I'm going to show you a couple of examples in the New Testament. We, we just read, read one from the Old Testament. We could read others. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> We're going to do three or four here pretty quick. But I just want to show you some examples. Matthew chapter 16. This is one of the most famous confessions in the scriptures. And this is a very simple... Uh, one sentence confession from the Apostle Peter. Matthew 16, verse 16. Well, go to 15. Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very simple statement of belief. He, you know, this is often called Peter's confession. Well, this was a confession, a very short creedal statement concerning who Jesus is, and uh, does it represent a full library of truth? Yes, absolutely so. That is, uh, just that verse alone, libraries have been written on, much less the truth therein. Is it wrong 
for thus to summarize, for, for Peter to have summarized all of that vast truth in one sentence. No. Jesus answered, blessed are you. Yes, that's correct. You are right, Simon Peter. And on that confession, not on Peter, but on that confession, Christ would build his whole church. And so this is a good thing. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve, and so forth. And what is this? This is a creed. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised and buried. He was buried then raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is a statement of belief for the early church. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. There's another very famous creed. In the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and all. Well, right there is all of the scriptures speak about those three verses. Very quick summary of what the scriptures are about. So it's, it's, it's okay, again, to have these sorts of statements of belief. Um, and these are even shorter than some of the ancient creeds that we've, you know, the Apostles' Creed and, and others. And some of the more recent ones, obviously, a lot more shorter than that. But you get the idea. These short statements of belief, what do they do? They summarize the whole. Why would it have been a good thing for the Apostle Paul to give his people these short little statements of belief? Think about it. Why was it good? Yeah, really easy to remember. What's going on in the church in those days? They were scattered all over the place. It wasn't easy to get from point A to point B, as Paul demonstrated regularly in Acts as he had traveling problems. It wasn't easy to get around. And so for them to be able to come to a new believer and say these things or ask those things in the form of a question was a very simple thing. And it was like you said, it was a very it was a very unifying thing to bring people together under these very basic simple truths. And again, it is in no way and well these particular ones are scripture, so that kind of is beside the point, but even if they weren't, that they don't supersede that in any way. They don't supersede the rest of the text and instead they actually affirm it. They affirm what the Bible is teaching. And so that brings me to the next <clears throat> point about creeds and confessions is that they are beneficial. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. And we'll spend some time talking about this idea. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together with one voice that you would do so in harmony. This idea is the whole idea behind bringing people together under a common creed or a common confession. And otherwise, as as Kelly said, change would come really easily. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Something new comes along and it's real easy to just be like, oh, that looks nice. I mean, and we could pick and choose any any denomination really nowadays that's currently going through that so I'm not going to mention anybody but just look at it I mean people are being tossed about by these ideas of like social justice and all that that's happening and then you have these other ideas that are kind of entering in with with homosexuality and gender and all this other stuff that's entering into the church and churches are being more influenced by the world than they are influencing the world and why is that? Because they have decided to get away from our most base beliefs as Christians. It has nothing to do with hating people or any of these these things that has often been attributed to Christians and will continue to be attributed to us until Christ comes. Um, It has to do with this is what the scripture says. This is the base, plain teaching of scripture. If they want to question someone, something let them question the word of God, which is ultimately what they're doing anyway. Sheep wander off. <clears throat> exactly. Easily. Sheep wander off and and sheep that aren't sheep quickly realize that the fold is not where they want to be. And so we as the church need to be clear in what we believe. This is what sheep do. This is what sheep believe. And we'll always have wolves among us, is what you know. The apostles warn, Jesus himself warns about that. We'll always have people who don't believe, and that's going to be a part of the church, and we'll never get rid of that. But I think it's very important for us to have this unifying thing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, people are spiritual. You can't, I mean, the, the law of the Lord is written on their hearts. And so they, they obviously, I mean, you know, what is Romans 1 says, that they know who he is, but yet they reject him anyway. And so people are constantly looking for that, but they also want to come under their own authority. And so they reject anything that's not that. And, and so that's why the church is always going to have that. And you, recently I've been studying again, like uh, Puritanism and English Reformation and the English Civil War and some of these other things. And it's been interesting to see, you know, as we're talking about creeds and confessions, the role that the Westminster Confession played in England's history. And so just kind of a little historical lesson on that. 1643, England was kind of at the cusp of Civil War and probably even in the midst of Civil War. And the Parliament... 
uh, issued a decree and called together this group of pastors and lay leaders from all over England and even several from, from Scotland. And they put together this document. And the goal of the document was to do just that, to unify the church. The Church of England, I remember, had split away from the Catholic Church. And we, we call them uh, Anglican or Episcopalian now. And there's some different things there, but all kind of stemming from the same. And then Puritans had their own views as well. And they were kind of anti-English government and they thought that uh, the Anglican Church was too Catholic and there were some divides there and they would eventually fight about those divides and then uh, there was Presbyterianism that was coming in and the Scottish people were longing for some sort of religion and some sort of identity in that regard particularly the Reformed brethren there and so all of these people were called together and they were called together, and they were called to Westminster Abbey, and basically saying, hey, craft a document for us that will put us all under a common umbrella of doctrine. And that is what came from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And again, you had all sorts of people there. You had Anglicans, you had Presbyterians, you had Congregationalists, you had Scottish Presbyterians, and which was this whole other thing is, and that's where uh, the ARP comes from that's a whole another story they kind of in, interestingly enough the uh, the whole document is decidedly Presbyterian because the uh, Presbyterians were in the majority at that particular conference and or at that assembly <clears throat> and the English would never actually adopt that as a system of doctrine and stayed with the Anglican way of doing things and the Scottish ministers went back and adopted Presbyterianism as their government and the rest is history on that and so 1646 is when they adopted the first draft of the confessions shorter and longer catechisms and that's the one that we largely have in view today with a few changes um and again what's the idea coming together around this common idea of doctrine so why do we still use this today well give an example from our presbytery meeting we had a guy who came in, he was a PCA minister at one point, and he, he's without a call right now, and he has been leading a church that we have in southern Mississippi. They brought him in to just preach on Sundays, and he wants to come in under our umbrella. He wants to become ARP, and we examined him because the PCA is a sister denomination, at least uh, today. They may not be in the coming years, but uh, currently a sister denomination who also subscribes to the Westminster Confession, I just asked him a simple question. Do you take any exceptions to the Westminster Standards? Westminster Standards are the Confession, the Shorter and Larger Catechism. And he said no. Now, for a lot of people, that may not be sufficient. But for me, I know that the Westminster Confession is this vast summary of all the scripture has to say or most of the things that scripture teaches and for him to say he doesn't see anything wrong with the confession is a big thing because then he and I agree on all of these major points of doctrine and that, that wasn't the only question we asked him I mean, we went to a lot of biblical stuff and a lot of other things that are necessary and it's good but that was a very important question because this document that we have as a as a Presbyterian church, as the ARP church, covers a lot of ground, 
and it brings us all together. I mean, our, any officer that would serve in our church as an elder or a deacon has to subscribe at least mostly with just several, just a couple of things, you know, a couple of exceptions that would be allowed, but they have to be subscribed to that confession of faith. Members of the church do not need to. As Andy's already talked about it. You don't have to come in agreeing with us on every point. You don't even have to know all the points that you disagree with us on. To be a member of the church, you have to be a member of Christ church. You have to profess belief, and that's it. And so I want to make sure we understand that. Uh, just don't get upset when we teach the doctrines of the church. But the confession, anyone who comes through our church and says, what do you believe? I could hand them a copy of the confession. I would probably rather have a conversation with them. But you get the idea. That is the purpose of that document, so that we can all be together. Any any questions or thoughts? I know I've kind of went on and on, but... Really the opposite of a lot of people are looking for. Um, people are looking for a personality in a church that they choose or to just kind of understand. Our church is about, we're just going to make it so simple. You know, and I hear that from some folks in this town too, that, you know, we, the main thing is we want to have a church that even lost people like to come to. Like, that's our mantra, that's our creed, that's it. Uh, I'm hearing you saying the opposite. But at the same time, what we believe is not so dumbed down and watered down that we just don't even have anything like that. But what we do have, we don't elevate above the person. Right. You don't have to know all this. You don't have to understand all this. There's, there's guys at our Bible study that would never read the Westminster Confession. I'm not judging them. I'm just telling you. There's a lot more important things that they haven't read that they need to than that book. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That doesn't mean they're not believers. In fact, I can learn a lot from them. So we don't elevate that book above the person, above relationships, above discipleship. That's good. Other people just totally remove it and have no standard at all. Mm-hmm. And then you better watch out because the pastor that you're so fired up about, and Pastor Mike, he's the greatest, you know. Before long, Pastor Mike could lead you astray because you have no idea where you're going yep. at all. And there's been some high-profile things like, you know, people coming out about controversial political issues, and then the pastor comes out and says, oh, well, I think that we can't say who can and can't be married. I think the Bible isn't real clear on any of these things. And then the people are kind of like, ooh, I thought, I think we disagree on that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You've had no standard by which to even unite. And, and on one little political issue, now it's glaring at you. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And uh, that brings up a good point. You know, the reason why we examine our ministers and the reason why we hold them to such a high standard. I mean, we examined a guy on the phone the other night for two hours on his beliefs because we're going to send him out to a church with folks who haven't been to seminary, who haven't spent all those hours reading and studying, who need to be led by someone that we can trust. And that's why we do it. And so it's, you know, I've I've gotten some criticism in the past and of, you know, their... How you know we talk about ordination exam or whatever, and mine was it's really long. And they'll say, "Well, 
I don't know why they have to examine anybody that long. I'm like, I'm glad they did because no one can look at me and say, we don't really know where Chipman stands on this stuff. Those guys know where I stand because they ask me everything that's possible, you know. And so they know, and so the Presbytery agrees, and so the denomination says this guy is someone we can trust to go out and, and teach the people of God. And so it's a that's a good thing. And and just you know, just one other thing too, you know, as you think about the confession and you may be thinking, Oh, I may try to read that. The confession is is uh Westminster Confession is it's a pretty dense little book. And so you may want to start <clears throat> if you're curious and you want to, you know, what do we believe as a church? The shorter catechism that we've been reciting together as as a church. It's a fantastic place to start because it's very simple. It has very short statements, and it's a great introduction to theological study. You know, if you're if you want to jump off the deep end with Calvin's Institutes, I may want to call you back in and say, why don't you just read the shorter Catechism first, and then maybe save Calvin for a later date because the shorter Catechism. What's what's great though is the shorter Catechism aligns itself with Calvin. And they agree. Calvin just says a lot more words. But if Calvin had been around, he would have looked at that document and said, yeah, I like this. This is good. He said, give that to the little kids. Yeah, he probably would. Did you see they wrote it for? Well, yeah, the short catechism was originally written for uh, young people, and the larger catechism was, was what ministers were made to memorize, but now it's ministers are made to memorize the shorter, and... The larger we still, I mean, we still use, and it's it's very good. It's just a lot more. Uh, Thank you. Illustrate the point you're making today too. Yeah. It really slid off having a firm grasp of faith and what parts are made up by. Mm-hmm. The number one selling book in colonial America before 1776 was the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession. Mm-hmm. It sold more copies than the Bible. Lots of people had a Bible already. They've printed it in mass. It's kind of an odd historical facet. Yeah. That the shorter catechism not only was approved by Scotland, but it swept America because of Puritans and the Presbyterian Confederate churches. Mm-hmm. And so it gave them this huge amount of unity and belief. So if you ever study American history, one of the funniest things to me is that the King of England, he really did call the, uh, the American Revolution, the Presbyterian Rebellion, because they were so united. And this is in one of his correspondence. That's what he wanted to call it, because they, there was so much unity um, among these people, and it was part. It was a faith unity that that kind of connected people, and that's how you rallied around this sort of thing. I was really fascinated by that, kind of the political aspect of here's this document for discipleship that sweeps the whole country and then offends the king who rejected it. Mm-hmm. Father's father did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's, I mean, it's just fascinating how that document brought so many people together and continues to do so. It's It's something that we all rally behind and it's something that, and again, it's not scripture. No one would dare even mention that. You know, no one. That and that's you know that's a common thing. That's you know when people say we don't need those creeds and like, you know, to me as if 
I'm somehow holding the confession above Scripture. No way, I'm not doing that. But the confession is, and the catechisms are great because they summarize the things that we believe, and it's real easy for us to talk about and share. Any other questions or comments about that? And so I think if you know if someone ever comes up to you and says, "What is Reformed Church?" I say, "Well, you should look up Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it's you can read the whole thing in ten minutes, and it's a, a very good summary." Of what we believe. Any other thoughts or questions? Um, yep, go ahead. Anna? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, I'll pray for it too. All right, well, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, as we come together, as we learn more about our church and what we believe, it's, it's good for us that we have things like the Westminster Confession. And again, it's not your word, but it does summarize your word well. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to use that document wisely. We also pray now for Anna, our sister in Christ, who has some abdominal pain. And we pray, Lord, that you bring her healing and that you would just more and more heal her body so that she can be comforted We pray that for her family as well, that they would comfort her and be with her in this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.